I thought it may be interesting to start taking you back a bit. You sharing the small screen with Francis Ford Coppola. Tommy Gravedigger. It was it was researched um, the year before I shot it. Um, and for the research, I actually worked in the cemetery as a gravedigger for six weeks. <laughs> so, um, uh, and Tommy was one of the characters of Hugh Gehrig and one of the characters I knew and actually a distant relative of mine because most people in the village were related anyway. <laughs> and um, anyway, we made we made the film and at the end, um, when it was finished, it was shown on Barry Norman's Film 74 and they had, um, there were two films in the programme. One was Godfather 2 and the other one was Tommy Gravedigger. Wow. And at the time we were poor students, we didn't have any money, so we had no television. So we actually watched it in a shop window in Oxford Street in the centre of London. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, so... And the film was later, um, I think it was later that year, maybe the following year, it was broadcast by BBC Two uh, as, as a proper documentary, yeah. So what was it about that uh, that character? Um... He was, an, he was an amazing character. There were so many stories about the cemetery, which, you know, we could only capture a few of them, but he could have gone on for forever. One of the things he did, which was really interesting, because he was from Hilgerig, my village, if someone died in Hilgerig, he'd bury them all close together in the cemetery. And also, almost relative to their position in the village. So it was as if the main street in Hilgerig was recreated in the cemetery. Wow. And they were buried next to their neighbours, <laughs> which is incredible. But um, but there's just so many stories from him. And he he went to see, when he was 21, I think, he went to Blackpool and um, he met uh, a fortune teller who said, when you're older, um, you'll be on television and you'll be famous. And he thought that was a joke and he laughed. And he said, it actually came true. So he would allocate the plots then in the yes, cemetery? yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, he would decide where you go. And families would be together, you know, they'd be in the same yes. in the same grave, you know, husband, wife and children. And relative to their houses, they'd be quite close together. So they'd be a little community in the cemetery. <laughs> I don't think they do that these days. <laughs> so that piece was your first documentary film, That's right, having yeah. graduated, presumably. Yeah, yeah. Just take it back it was, then. It was my final year project. Ah, um, right. In the final year, we had to do um, a project, a film, and we had to crew on other films. So I crewed on five other films as well. So it was a pretty tough year, that was, yeah. But you'd yeah. studied in London? Studied film. Yeah, I did three years. did um, a degree in um, photographic arts. Um, at the time, it was the only place that did it in the UK. We could do it. It was the first course to award a degree. And it was a pretty tough course. <laughs> This was Westminster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the main building was in, it has incredibly been in the centre of London because the it was based in, in Regent Street, right opposite the BBC. So you had this amazing location, um, amazing experience, and a great time to be in London. <laughs> so going to study film, in your mind, by making that decision to, to start that course, was it about stills photography or was the filmmaking? That's interesting. It was, um, the course was film and photography. And you did both um, for two years. And then in your third year you specialised, you decided what you wanted to do. So, um, so at the beginning I wasn't sure. Mm. I really wasn't sure. But both very much analogue at that point. Oh, completely, yeah. yeah. Handling film, processing <laughs> That's film. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very physical. But you'd had your start handling cameras back here in the, the village. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, first cameras, what, what sparked that first love of photography? Well, my father bought me my first camera. I must have been about 10, 9, 10. Um, and I took some still photographs with that. And then I must have been about 11, and he bought me a movie camera. So um, he loved taking pictures. He loved making movies. Um, he wasn't what you'd call a keen amateur. He didn't do developing or any of that. But he um, he loved to take photographs. And I think that started the, the filmmaking and the photography. And then obviously went on to process and develop. When I was, must have been about 11. You know, making films as well at that age. So um, One of my films won an award. 
Um, I must have been about 13. It was a horror film. <laughs> did, did the graveyard figure in that one? <laughs> the monster from the bog or something. Uh-huh. I was really into horror and and sci-fi. And yeah, that's, that's what I thought I wanted to do. Um, and when I was younger, I used to be, I had um, a puppet theatre. And I loved puppets. And I used to put on shows and build sets and, yeah, and write plays. Mm. <laughs> So that that must have been a fascinating, and being so close to the BBC, it must have been a fascinating time for young filmmakers because there would have been already supply of outlets to, if they were good, for the resulting works to, to yeah, be shown. At that time, what's so different from now is that there were there were two courses really that did film, um, our course and the um, National Film School, and so there weren't that many students coming out every year. You know, um, eight from ours, I think. So it is about 16 students in the whole of the UK. So the market then was just, you know, it is huge. There's so many opportunities. That's interesting. That's a low number, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Was that a, similarly, was that a low intake going in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. I think there were 30 initially on the course and then they split into film and into still still photography. So, um, but still very small numbers. You know, considering that's the whole of the UK. <laughs> and you stuck with film. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. But still wielding a stills camera. That's right, yeah, yeah. I did um, the project, uh, Once Upon a Time in Wales, that was complete when I, when I was actually studying film in my final year. So I did that in my spare time. So. That was a busy final year for you then. Oh, it's just mad, completely mad. Well, let's talk about um, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Wales because... Mm. That's kind of where it started in terms of, I think I'm right in saying, your exposure in Wales back, back home. Yeah, yeah. What was the impetus for that project? Um, what happened was, the photographs were taken in 1972-73 when I was a student. And I did nothing with, well I did, I put them all together, I had a whole set of prints, and I took them to a photographic gallery in Cardiff, and they weren't interested basically. And I had critic criticism um, and, you know, advice on how to take photographs and so forth which meant I just put them away and gave up on that type of photography for many years. Was that a commercial gallery or was it one of the bigger galleries we probably know of? Yeah one of the bigger ones you probably know of Mm, yeah so um, but it completely put me off um, that type of photography for many years. What a shame yeah because it's very much back now isn't it? Yeah yeah. So you took that as a project in your final year, mm-hmm. What, knowing that you had a, a ready, presumably, <laughs> mix of ingredients in the characters back here in the village. That's right. That's right. Um, Hill Gehrig um, was an amazing place in those days. Amazing. It was almost completely Welsh-speaking. Here um, in Merthyr? Yeah, yeah, the village was. Um, my grandparents, um, Welsh was the main language in the house, but my father's generation, they were the generation that sort of dropped the language and thought it better that they speak English. And so my generation then, we were almost completely English. But I was brought up with those people still alive in the village. Most of the characters in the um, in that, in the photographs, those portraits, they were Welsh-speaking characters. What approach did you take in terms of, you had the characters, but what, what was it you wanted to capture? Was it as simple as, this is life in a small Welsh village? More or less, but um, also... Um, so many projects of portraits, particularly portraits of people um, in the South Wales Valleys, were taken by outside photographers who moved in, didn't know the communities, weren't really, you know, um, close to the people. And I think I, mine was different in that way. And also they tended to choose, you know, they photograph miners coming home from work or, you know, in the t- tin bath in front of the fire. And, um, the low-hanging fruit. In a yeah, way. yeah. Mm. So I didn't want to do that. I, I just wanted to do something about little bit different um but they were amazing characters and the names some of the oh. some of the names may just made me giggle and the mean, stories behind them tex jones um and we'll come to the follow-up project <laughs> the bricklayer the builder billy bricks billy bricks yes tommy gravedigger which yes. you yeah. featured in your uh, your document mad malcolm so does he feature in any of the photos i haven't seen any of the published photographs of mad malcolm yeah yes. so he liked to do yes. a bit of Funny fags are, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or taking anything that's sent somewhere else, yeah. No, no substance is too strong. Wow, 
<laughs> yeah. But what a mix, a real mix of different characters. Yeah, yeah. One thing I was very aware of at the time, and I think that probably was a big thing, um, was that those people weren't going to be around for much longer. Mm. Um, it was the end of that era. And you, you would never find people like that again. And if I didn't capture it at that time, if I hadn't captured it at that time, they would have been lost. So so you were very conscious yeah, yeah, of that? Yeah, very much so. Very was, much. was that brought home to you by moving to London and seeing the, the bigger metropolis, if you like, of how things happen elsewhere it, and what you'd come from? Possibly, possibly. But um, again, London was quite interesting. You know, at that time, London was a great place to be. Living in Chiswick, the local pubs were we near us. They they were full of characters exactly the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's you just don't see that now again. That's all gone. But th- there was quite a lot of that there as well. Quite a, and quite a few of the places we went, we found these interesting people. <laughs> Perhaps that's just me. <laughs> but but that's an important point, isn't it? You you were a local. So my next question, the obvious one, would be how you were accepted or how willing they were to uh, participate. Did they just let you run riot with the camera? Very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no problem at all. Uh, well, most of the people enjoyed... They, they, they were proud that they had their photograph taken and um, and they were pleased to do it. It's very different today. Very, very different situation, sadly. But... Um, and people also... They weren't... Photography wasn't being used for any other means rather than a record or two to show... Uh, people what to describe themselves but today there are so many uses for photography that people are quite weary of you taking photographs and it's not the same situation and what you're going to do with that photograph you know you're taking a picture of me what do you want that for one of the saddest things is the fact that you can't photograph children anymore mm. and in my first series you know there are kids playing in you know buildings and, and images like that which you you're absolutely no way you wouldn't even contemplate doing these days that didn't exist in those days in the 70s. You know, just took a photograph, gave them a print, uh, and that was it. So what was your approach? What was, if we can call it a process, but what, having had some discipline, I guess, knocked into you, a mm-hmm. film school, mm-hmm. as to perhaps an approach you could take, what mm-hmm. what did you do they, starting they, that project? They, were, I wanted them to be very, um, I suppose, very objective. Um I didn't want them to be subjective portraits. And so I knew the people and I talked to the people and completely relaxed in the company. Again, that is something someone from outside would find that hard to achieve. Um, In a short time, there'd always be that little sort of barrier. Even when it was easier to take photographs in those days, you still have to break down the barrier between you and the subject. And, And I think that through knowing them and through meeting them time after time and perhaps even growing up with them. Um, that didn't, that, there was no barrier. And um, that helped enormously, I think. So that body of work presumably would have had its first airing back to the lecturers in London. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Did you exhibit the work then at all? The work, it was published in fact, in Creative Camera. And that was quite a sort of, quite a big thing at the time. And um, it was run by Peter Turner. And um, so I had a portfolio in there. He was connected to the Photographer's Gallery in Newport Street, as it originally was, this tiny little place. And um, some of them were, were exhibited there, some of the photographs. Um, and so that gave me um, faith in the, in, in the work, in the body of work. But then coming home to Wales and, you know, having, oh, <laughs> not good enough. I, I said, right. Into the box they yes, went. Yes, into the box they went for many years. <laughs> 35, I think. Yeah. Something yeah, in that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Mm. But sticking with it then, you brought it back to life more recently. And fantastic. It was shown both uh, that project and the new one. Yeah, yeah. Which was titled? This Time in Wales. This Time in Wales. <laughs> At Red House Cymru. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is a, a lovely gallery, isn't it? What fabulous. a space to have. Absolutely in the fabulous, yeah. 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 It was the the longest running um, exhibition they've had there to run for three months. Because they're normally quite, normally a month. It was their most successful exhibition. And they had more people seeing it than any other exhibition they put on. So that was a good, it was a plus, yeah. So you've alluded to it earlier, the original project at that time. 
and it was of a, a time, and the, the images obviously portray that. Um, the approach you could take and the participation of the people and the subjects was very, very different to the, the modern day. What Again, what was your approach then to um, this time in Wales? I tried to do the same. I tried to make it the same. I tried my best to do that. Um, some of the people were still alive, are still alive, and I photographed them. Only a handful, but there are, there are some. Um, and obviously, I knew them. <laughs> but it was a, a process of, you know, finding new, new people, new subjects, um, and perhaps a broader, perhaps a little bit more selective than I did first time round. Perhaps I was a bit more co- conscious of um, what I was photographing, who I was photographing. Did they still have the prints? Yeah. The ones that you had handed out at the time, yeah? Uh, because uh, what I found fascinating, you've obviously revisited some where, where they weren't still alive, some of the family members. But mm. it's fascinating how that, uh, it must be that local or that sense of community, the the young son of Tex still wearing the outfit that his father would have made. There's a pride there, isn't there? In terms Very of much so, totally, totally. The absolutely. parents of the family members that went before. That's right, yeah, yeah. And in fact, it was interesting to find connections between the original subjects and people, you know, alive today. And with Tex, um, I photographed his granddaughter, who's an actress, Tara, and she um, she works in BBC television. So, but still, that was two generations down. And as you say, his son, um, Wayne, he looks like he's become an incredible character himself now. <laughs> Although he doesn't wear his um, father's... Um, outfit uh, around do you know one thing that struck me the original project the what, what was what was the main was it miners the guys in the pubs the old guys having a drink it would have been mining Hill Garrick was almost 100% mining community right almost every um, man in the village worked underground okay yeah. what I found very interesting was revisiting the project in, in this time in Wales Two of the photographs stood out for me. One, one is kind of iconic with uh, is it Lee, the tank, Callahan, with the yeah. uh, the tattoos on mm-hmm. his back. And then the other one is the young girl who, I think, is it Miss Tattoo 2014? Yes. I always associated tattoos with, back then in the 70s, it would have been that manly thing of miners, welders, manual labour. Um, in fact, I think the term tattoo... It goes way, way back, exactly. doesn't it? But it's workmanlike, I think, is one of the terms. Definitely. Absolutely, I think, that, that I think that's true. It. Do you think Hidden Under, it's obviously a very different time, but the tattoos come across in the modern project, but they could have been hidden in the old one. I wonder how many of those guys perhaps had the tattoo of the one. I think there may have been one or two. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think they're probably, it was probably quite rare. Right. Probably In this rare. area, do you think? Yes, in this in, in this area. But the act, Obviously, I think there were some. <laughs> I'm asking because I, I literally I don't know whether that was whether tattooing was a thing in the mining community. Maybe it, it wasn't, wasn't particularly. Mm. No shipbuilding. I know from Glasgow and whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think in this community, which was a very narrow, close community here, mm. um, I don't think that was a big thing. So may not have, may have been one or two closet tattoos, but. <laughs> <laughs> but talk about those two characters, for example. They they feature in the in the the more recent project, um, this time in Wales. But the tank and the uh, the young girl, the tattoo artist. What was the approach? You say it was the same, but was there a slight reticence in terms of people being a bit suspicious? As you no, said? no, no. That no? everybody I photographed was they were really thankful for being exactly the same as first time round. They were great. They pleased that I taken the photographs and proud to have the photograph taken and it's interesting because um it was photographed with the aim of there being an exhibition and possibly more and so um they were aware of that and and they thought that was great whereas the first time i just snapped people as they would say there was not that aim or that that concept of it ever being on a wall anywhere or people going to see it so but generally Overall, all the subjects, everybody photographed was, was really, really very helpful, grateful, pleased, positive, all those things. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because many, we, we've heard from various people we've spoken to about the, um, you know, just outright fear that many young students would have in being sent out 
to approach people and ask to do portraits or mm-hmm. or whatever. From what you're describing, mm-hmm. people enjoy. Yeah. You not know, everyone, obviously, but sure. until you actually ask, you don't. That's you don't true, I, and I would I would say hundred percent. I had one strange experience. I was photographing someone outside a cafe in in Merthyr in the town. This guy came charging out from this cafe. It was in the background, not even in the photograph. I started shouting at me for taking his taking a photograph, and I didn't have permission to take a photograph of him. And he was he looked as if he was a solicitor just by his appearance, and I, I think he was. But you know, he had no right to do that or to say that. But he was quite bizarre, and I wasn't even taking his photograph. Mm. <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> mm. But I, and that was just a, on the side, but the actual subject. So. It, it does. I think students have to go out and do it, mm. and ask it, it. You, I can understand that. I can understand the fear. I can, and it's very for me again that that was initially um, an issue. I think um, going into pubs where you're a stranger, and I've been away from you know this place for many years. There is that sort of a little fear that you know, what are they going to say? But but once you get in. I'm sure you can turn yeah, the accent exactly. back on, Robert, mm. when, you, when you need to. <laughs> mm, mm, um, mm. But, but interestingly, you brought the old project uh, and and the new one together, as you say, in, in Red House Come Right, very successful exhibition. Sadly, we we didn't see it. But what kind of reaction did that have from the locals? I can understand the gallery space thinking this the, is fantastic. The, the aim when I, when I put it together was um, was for local people. That was part of the project. It was um, helped by Arts Council of Wales, who are absolutely fabulous, and helped me helped me to produce it. And the aim was that it would be shown locally, and people would have a chance to see um, their community, because quite often places like this are photographed and exhibitions are like the previous ones, way out in London or not even in the country sometimes. But to, for them to see it, and I think people are quite surprised. And really, really interested and fascinated, and had lots and lots of comments, great comments from from members of the public who'd never go into a gallery, mm. never go and see you know a photography exhibition, and mm. um, they'd gone there. What What did you feel witnessing? The people walking around and did it you was, do the secret shopper now and again? Apart from the lunch, I didn't very did much. No. I didn't very much. <laughs> Once or twice I went, but um, um, what was interesting is people would recognise and go and you know they'd recognise someone they knew in one of the photographs. Mm. And then there'd be screams and yells and... <laughs> but but it, it was a very interesting experiment. And, I, and even the publicity for the project, I tried to make that local, as local as possible, um, rather than going for the London press and the London art world. And, and that worked, I, I think. You also took the opportunity with the new project, this time in Wales, to revisit the filmmaking side as well, you wove that in. So talk talk about uh, talk to me about Vikings. Um, it what it was um, the the people in the initial series once upon a time in Wales. Um, I I just sat down one night and wondered what the hell had happened to these people. So I decided to travel back to Merth, and I was living away at the time, and track them down and try and photograph them, record them for a film. And so um, many, many of them were still alive. And again, like this series, the ones that weren't, I sort of made a connection, uh, maybe a family member. Um, an interesting one was the little baby drinking the, the beer, in the, the pint of beer in the pub. I tracked him down. He's a, um, an IT consultant and he works internationally all over the world, lives in London. And so I interviewed him and he talked about the times that he remembered in Merthyr, at that, when, when he, you know, when he drank the pint of beer. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny because, but those photographs mean something, don't they? But I've, yeah. I've got a similar photograph of my grandfather, who I, I barely knew, but I'm a tot sitting on his lap drinking whiskey. So it's it the Scottish equivalent. But um, <laughs> they, it, it's just something that doesn't seem to get done no, I don't think no, those no, types of photographs. No, no. Strangely enough, no. I'm sure they do, but you don't see as many of them. When when I I, I got in touch with him when I started doing the new series, I I, I thought said it'd be nice if I can get a photograph of him, um, and he said when I'm in town, he said I'll I'll bring my son 
And if you can do a picture of me giving a pint of beer to my son, you can sit on my lap, he said, and we swap places. And he said, that'd be great. But sadly, we never did. We never did. That film probably means, I'm guessing, means quite a lot to you because Astronauts, Vikings and Ghosts for its full title. You got some awards from that as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, for me, the most interesting, the best part was that it was, uh, it was broadcast on television and, and that meant quite a lot. Um, it, although it, it won the um, Newport International Film Festival Best Documentary, but being broadcast in Arte, on Arte in, um, throughout Europe was three times. That was amazing. The first time I saw it, it, it was completely by accident. Again, it was, it was a coincidence. Um, we were on holiday in Venice, and it was on in Venice. <laughs> and I, I, but it was incredible seeing the reviews in, in, in the um, Italian newspapers. And on the way to Venice, on the in France, the French newspapers reviewing it, which is quite. But was, that, that was quite a proud moment, I think. And again, the feedback was just incredible. I Absolutely. Um, from all over Europe. Really, really amazing. Several people wanted to um, use it as a subject for their, their um, dissertations. <laughs> um, and I'd say a handful of people were were encouraged to go out and photograph the community. And some even asked for advice. They said, how do I go about doing this? You're trained as a filmmaker. The, the fashionable thing a few years, 10, 12 years back, was to do more of the, the digital storytelling approach, um, which seemed to be the multimedia uh, weaving of stills, photography, mm. video and audio as a component. Mm. Were you ever tempted just to do the audio and stills approach or...? Was the filmmaking kind of in your blood? The filming, I, I, the filmmaking, I think. I've always, um, I've always wanted to make a feature film, and still, still an ambition. So, and that's what I set out to do when I was fourteen or whatever. <laughs> Could that be sci-fi in the Welsh valleys? <laughs> that's gone. Not, not all of it is still left. That, <laughs> right. That's definitely gone. But, but the filmmaking is just the ambition is still there. So, yeah. But a couple of the, you mentioned publishing, but uh, Once Upon a Time in Wales, the book is still advertised on Amazon. You need to sort something out though, Robert, because currently the buy at new price is £317 for a hardback copy. Um, someone's trying it on somewhere. But it's an important point about publishing. Many photo books do tend to go through that first edition and never appear again, ever. Have you been tempted to to republish or definitely run those books again? I'm sure. I'm sure. Do we will at some time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sold up really quickly. Um, very, very, very quickly. I think it was a third um, of the period it normally takes to sell sell a book for him. So um, yeah, we would we definitely look at that. Um, but you did get your work out uh, elsewhere. You you also you moved into the fine arts market and there's a genre of photography that you also <laughs> sell and are, are uh, yeah. represented in France, I believe, through a gallery. That's there. right, yeah. But yeah. Uh, what's the interest there and what's that genre? Um, I don't know where that all started. <laughs> well, the, the, You're doing your Don the, ca the catalyst that, that's behind most of my photography was um, Rhubarb Rhubarb in Birmingham, which was set up by um, Rhonda Wilson, who sadly died a few years ago. And that started, restarted, kick-started everything. And through that, I made huge, huge uh, number of contacts. I met Dewey, Dewey Lewis, and the book came out of that. Um, and um, Dominique Charley, the Paris agent, that came out of that as well. So it all goes back there. <laughs> uh, and that's when I started taking photographs again and, and became interested again. But on the art side, it's landscape. Yes, you, yes, very different. Yeah. Do you enjoy? I, what is it you enjoy about that side? I, I don't know. It's very calm and no people involved, no hassle. <laughs> Although it's no great hassle the other people, but it's it's you and, and nobody else. I like that. And I've done a, there's a whole series about on, which I've done in Paris, a few series in Paris as well. So, um, which is. I've had quite a few exhibitions for those in Paris. So that's been, that was fabulous. The first exhibition in Paris. And there have been quite a few there. 
stills photography is one of those very interesting areas where you have the, the commercial work in many genres, editorial, fashion, people selling work that way. But of course, the art market or fine art photography has been very successful in recent years and again has a plethora of, of different genres and styles been represented. I'm assuming you've been picky in terms of how you want to be represented, how you want to be shown and where the work is shown and at what price. So do you want to just reflect on the um, that uh, the merry dance that's perhaps played I, I, by I photographers think, and galleries? I think any of the top galleries would do. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's, a, it's a tough it's a tough one. You you um, I, I have contact with about three or four um, quite big galleries, major galleries um, in Europe, um, but it's 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 very tough to establish um, a situation where they like your work, they take your work. Uh, and they'll sell your work. Um, you, you have to gain that. But once you do, you know, it, it, it's great. <laughs> Is it hard work? Is there big expectations on their part from you? I think once you're established, once you've made that connection um, with a gallery, it, it, or with an agent or both, um, you, you, you've, you know, that's a big step. If, you've made, if you take that step and you're over that, that's the big, that's the big hurdle. Yeah, and it's not too bad. You can, you're all right then. But it's very, very difficult to get to that point. Um, and 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 meeting people, um, showing you work to galleries is very, very tough. Rhubarb Rhubarb in Birmingham, they used to do that, and I don't think there is anywhere in the UK that does it now. Um, and they would have all the top agents and, um, gallery, owners from from Europe, or from from over the world, all around the world. And they'd be there once a year for a week and you could meet these people and show them your work. Um, and now you have to go to all, they do it in all in the south of France. Um, We've recently had photo London. Have, have you been to that? Yes, but that isn't, that isn't a place where you um, so much, where you show you are quite so much as compared to what they did in Birmingham, what they did with um, Rhubarb. Um, that was entirely um, photographers meeting agents and selling. They're a bit more broader now. It's more, it's much more of the um, sales side of the uh, the agreement. But but that's what you have to do. Um, it's a tough one, and because there are so many people competing, there are just so many people competing now. If if you have a series of say limited edition prints of say one photograph uh, of a particular style or a theme or a, a project presumably the gallery is very happy or the agent's very happy that that's sold that's in demand I guess they'll pressure you for more of the the same is it easy to get into a rut and just trying to meet demand rather than broadening your no no I don't think you do I think it's 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 the, the, um well, from my experience um um, it's it's worked very very well. Um, it's been it's been up to me to, to to produce the work and whatever I want. Um, I had the freedom to do that. Um, no no limitations, no constraints, no. So very much you in control. You supply them with what you want yeah, to be sure. Yeah 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 yeah. And that it seems to work that way. It certainly does for me. And I had two good sales last week. <laughs> That's a good week. Yeah, mm. yeah, it is. Does that landscape work come from any one place, or does that tend to be you and your travels? Are we, you know, are we going to see a Wales-specific project? No, yeah, I, I think a lot of the coast and the Gower, I think. Right. I think that's a, perhaps the the major influence there. Do you find that rewarding? Not in a monetary sense, but do you you yeah, enjoy yeah, yeah. that good work because it's more contemplative or...? Yes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more you with nature rather than you with people. It's very very different. It's they complement each other, so I think it's good to do both. Um, and I love I love absolutely love France. So quite a few photographs um, of the French coast and and of Paris. So in in terms of showing, you you mentioned France and showing work there, but how important is it for towns like Martha to have a venue like Venue Camry because. I think we've reflected previously that uh, there is a real dearth of photography galleries more generally across Wales. Absolutely, absolutely. When when the first um, exhibition, uh, Once Upon a Time in Wales, 
when that was first shown, there were very few galleries in the UK that were specifically f- photographic, a handful of places. Um, and Sheffield, I'm trying to think there was one gallery, the Lighthouse Gallery in Wolverhampton, which um, showed the exhibition. Uh, when it was declined in Wales. Yeah, yeah. They now, um, they've closed. They lost their grant and they, they don't show photography. So that's another one down. And just quite uh, sad and really could do with as many as possible, particularly in Wales. Mm. But that's why it's been so good doing this, trying this exercise in Merthyr to see. And, it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's worked, it's been successful. It's got the people in. My site had, um, at one point, it had um, 10,500 hits on my website. So as a result of that. Yeah, and I, I also want to I want to take it a little further if possible. I, I I'd like to have another book of the new series at some mm. point. Um because um I have about eighty, ninety images now. Although there weren't so many in exhibition. So I there's quite a sort of um quite a collection there. Um and also um hopefully next year there should be some exhibitions in France of the two exhibitions. Possibly one in Paris and possibly in all as well. So nice. Yeah. So, what well, do you engage with the? Um, do you stay involved with the photography community more generally in Wales? Do you? No, I don't. Very isolated. That could be a good thing. <laughs> it's Un- just untainted, me. Robert. It's me. Uh, in Birmingham, I was very involved with um, the Rubab Rubab organisation and. And I met some photographers there, and I, I mean, we sort of stayed in touch. Um, and, and through the galleries there, and through um, um, Dewey Lewis, but, but not in Wales. I'm quite, I'm quite on my own. Any observations on what you see happening in Wales? or the current? It's great to see so much going on. That's just amazing, amazing. Because when I finished my course, there was hardly anybody um, doing photography in Wales. You know, very, very few. And to see Welsh photographers now is fantastic. It really, really is great. I just wonder if, going back to what we were saying mm-hmm. earlier, if you to to bring a couple of young, fresh students, pick any theme, you pick any town in Wales, whether it's Brexit as, as the overriding theme or whether it's a town like Port Talbot, if they lost the Seawarks, as my hometown in Motherwell, and Scotland did. It was a steel town. They become these regeneration zones. I mean, mm. you have it with the retail mm. park on the mm. 470 at Merthyr. Yeah. yeah. It, there's no real sense of that. Not that old community. Not that old. No, village, well, moving that back old to Merthyr. Moving back to again after 20 years, the community is just it, it is nothing like it used to be. Um, the old close community. My mother is still alive, and she lives in the village, and she's 90, and she has no idea who lives in her street. She knows one person opposite. Um, whereas years ago, she'd know everybody in Hilgeric, no the street, in the in the entire village, um, and and that people moving in and out, and obviously that has a great effect. But there isn't there. It's absolutely true. I think the community has just been, we've lost a lot. I think in the, in that respect, which is why that mm. work that you've created, I think, is so important, isn't it? And and hopefully other people have got boxes. And the beds elsewhere in Wales where they've been recording, you know, yeah, local yeah. communities in that same way, because it is a social history, isn't it? Of course it's, it is, of course it is. Um, if people haven't been, if it's not a newsworthy item and the TV cameras or film cameras back then mm-hmm. were involved, it is about stills, photographers, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Did the Abervan thing, given it is in the valleys, have any influence on you in terms of your approach to local community stills photography? The Abervan the disaster. disaster. Yeah. Um, at the time of the uh, the disaster, I was in school. I can remember. I can remember what what we were doing in school in the schoolyard, and um, everybody everything stopped and people gathered in the in the schoolyard. Uh, and my father, um, he spent three days actually in Abervan, um, helping them. And um, they had a couple of very large machines, um, mechanical diggers, and he, he drove those. They they could they had difficulty finding people to drive these big machines to move the. And he did that, and he stayed there for three days. And um, he supplied some machines to help as well. So, um, 
But then, um, years later, my first wife, I ran a news agency in Merthyr for about nearly 20 years. So we were obviously very, very involved in the anniversaries and, the, and producing stories over the years. So we got to know many of the characters there, um, many of the people involved certainly did. It's very, very, very sad. I can remember doing lots of, um, lots of work on the 25th anniversary. Um, lots of newspapers, magazines, and and television articles. Yeah. What was your view on the images in terms of content being included in those? I don't know. <laughs> there, was, there was few sources, though, wasn't there? I mean, David Hearn, who we've yeah. spoken to, and Ian Berry were on the ground. There was an American came over who is, I believe, is having an exhibition. CC Rappaport. I, a, what I thought was really impressive was the artwork that's in Cardiff Museum at the moment. Yes. That's pretty, that's absolutely stunning. Mm. That was just amazing. Um, but for the, for the 25th anniversary, I photographed lots of the people and who were involved. And the little girl who's carried out by the policeman, I photographed her. And um, so we got to know all those characters over, it was an ongoing story for many years. Um, it's a very sensitive area, there was not oh, totally, to, to be totally. seen too opportunistic. Oh, totally. Yeah, because it's going to have been covered again and again and again, and those people must just be sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, again, because living nearby and being part of the community, just like the earlier photographs, um, we knew the people there and got a relationship with them. But outside people, they, they you know, obviously that was not liked, not not appreciated mm. so but it, it is alright for us it, we, we're okay that worked now, t- talking of um, kind of sensitive topics you're also interesting I found it fascinating um, the other project you were trying to get some backing for was the Vietnam same same but but different, different. Tom. taking Tom Jones <laughs> to Vietnam you've got to tell me that story yeah um, it's it is about one of the characters who um was evacuated from Vietnam and he was brought to South Wales and brought up in the South Wales Valleys um, by a, a local vicar. And now he's a lot older, he finds it difficult to, to find his identity. To He doesn't feel as if he belongs anywhere. And and, and that, that's the phrase, which is a, a Vietnam phrase, um, saying you're the, you're the same as the uh, Vietnamese people but different. So when he goes back there, they say, oh, you're Vietnamese, but you're not one of us. And he felt also in Wales that he wasn't quite, he had almost the reverse happening here. And so I, I, was, I was interested in, in making a film about him. Um, at the moment, what, what happened at the time, another documentary was made, absolutely identical subject, and it was so close to it. It just blew it. So... Um, so it's still there, and it's still all t- orphans coming from Vietnam. That's right, yeah, mm. yeah. But they, this documentary, it actually went to the same home, and it was so close. It was pure coincidence, but it was just it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> so, so but, you've dropped that for the moment. Yes, yeah, it's on hold, but there's plenty of potential. It's a real Latin, the, the the boy who was brought away, brought out on one of the planes. It's an incredible character, very interesting. He spends he devoted his entire life to helping the orphanages in Vietnam. He just raises money for them and travels back and forth every year, just um, giving aid or, or whatever, and organises charity raising functions. Because there are two strands to that that, that I find are fascinating and directly link to Wales. One was Philip Jones Griffiths, who yes. still has, I think, some of his work being exhibited on the Agent Orange uh, in a gallery in, in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the current crisis where you have immigrants and migration happening in, in large, large numbers, and there must be a lot of people that are going to be in the same boat, if I can call That's it that, as that young guy. Absolutely. Um, what he told me was that um, um, over the years that they've sort of, the orphans who came over have um, have got in touch with each other and they've become friends and become a little sort of group, community, whatever. And he said they're all very similar and, and they have the common feeling about being in this country, about slight alienization, alien, being alienated here, and also when they go home, not being quite 
belonging there. But they, uh, quite a few of them have moved back to Vietnam, which is quite interesting. And he's, I don't know, he, I'm not sure what his intention is, but we shall see. But uh, again, that's something, you know, I can, I would love to work on that in the future. Um, what I wanted to ask you about that was, uh, were you taking the opportunity to do a stills photography project in tandem? With that film, with yes, access yes, to him, yes, and yes, because uh, yes. you've shot a promo, didn't you, for yes. for the project? That's so right. You were over there. Yes, and no, I didn't actually go. I, I, oh, I shot right. it here. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Obviously, worked. I was filming. <laughs> and um, he he, what he did, he actually um, he he took a, um, a record of Tom Jones singing. And he he played in the orphanage, and they thought this was absolutely fantastic. So, just taking Tom Jones to to Vietnam. But it, it's a very rich, very deep, and very moving subject. Um, and and the 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 poor kids who are, have been affected by the, you know, Agent Orange is absolutely horrendous, absolutely horrendous. They some of the children there they call them box children. And it, what it means is that um, when they go into this into this home, it means that the parents have kept them in a box, out of the way, and that's how they've been brought up. Did you see the exhibition in Aberystwyth when the Philip Jones Griffiths peaked last year? Yeah, it's um, right. Yeah, it's quite harrowing, really. Some yeah. of that because yeah. uh, yeah. they yeah. cordoned off that they had a private space for some of the agent or the more harrowing work, if you like, you know, the, the gritty yeah, yeah. work from some of it from the book. I, I think today you, you have to be careful. There's a fine line between um, using images of these, you know, hideously deformed children, um, you know, for maybe for your own end, your own aims or whatever. And yet giving publicity, on the other hand, giving publicity to these people and these places, which are desperate, you know. Um, interestingly, a lot of Americans have moved there. A lot of Americans who ex uh, vets who actually fought in Vietnam, they, they've gone to live there. Very, very strange, and ha- help out in the orphanages and in the hospitals. Really? Yeah, oh. yeah. Many years ago, to get your work out there or be seen by, I guess, some of the festivals, if it was more of an art type film or documentaries in terms of the broadcasters. Would have been the old Umatic tapes or, or VHSs hitting the desk, but it was film when YouTube I started. Film, sorry, yeah, I had to lug around a, a reel, yeah, a reel of sixty millimeter film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, my goodness, how that's changed with platforms like Vimeo and YouTube. It's absolutely dramatic. What's What's amazing is the technology now is just so fantastic, and yet it doesn't seem the quality of product doesn't seem to have. Uh, gone up or increased uh, in the similar respect. It's sad, really. It's really sad. But yeah, it's so easy to make programs now. It really is compared to... We had to do everything on 16mm film when we were in college. Yeah. yeah. Every project was shot on 16mm film, which is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And similarly, photographer, digital photography is the cost element of buying film and paper and chemicals. That's all gone. But presumably it's for you. Um, are you, you're not, are you still shooting film or are you no, shooting I don't. digital? I don't, all digital. For your video work as well, presumably. Yeah, and TV yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. So you must find that far easier, far more cost effective to be producing short promos, tasters, teasers, and letting it's, people see the idea rather than an A4 sheet of paper. It's dramatically easier. Um, I think when I made my film, I, we couldn't, in no way, could we put a, a promo together or do anything in that. It was the, the finished item. Uh, the cost was just of doing anything like that was, you know, people saw the actual thing, the real, the real finished film. That's how, that's how it was. So, but the opportunities now are just, it's just amazing. Absolutely. And it's interesting to watch so many, it's not a particularly new thing, but again, I think it's because of these online platforms that many stills photographers now almost feel compelled to be creating short videos to show their stills work. But you're, That's you know, true. the Astronauts and Vikings project was very different because you were weaving yeah. the archive material yeah. into the, yeah. the, the present day and the, the changed town of Martha. Yeah. Um, 
But some of them, I guess, can pick up a few more interested clients through creating these stills films. Absolutely. With a bit of ambient music or Absolutely. sound effect. Yeah. It's what people watch and um, and hits you get on um, YouTube and or Vimeo can be quite quite large. That's a real, real big big way to get your work out. Uh, definitely worth worth doing. You took a, a very interesting route into your formal photography, filmmaking education by studying film in Westminster. But um, just reflecting back and looking at it now, what's your feeling in terms of how photography and young talent coming through are being taught? I think um, I, I was very lucky when I studied photography. We had There, there were so few courses doing it. that The tutors tended to be the best in their field. Um, and people from the industry were brought in. And we worked with people from the industry. Um, and that was a great um, benefit, which you don't get these days. Because there are so many courses, I don't think you can get... That, that can't happen. It's just not possible. And I think that was a big plus for for my generation, studying photography. And again, um, style wasn't as strong then as it is now. Um, I think fashion has taken a much, much stronger influence on, on work and students tend to produce, I don't know if it's their fault or the college's fault or whatever, but they tend, a lot of work is very similar. And they, you, you can't tell if you see someone's work, you wouldn't say, oh, that's so-and-so's work. It could be anybody's. And it doesn't have that, it has to be different. Um, that's why I tried with, there's an experiment with this series I just finished now, shooting in black and white, shooting in the style of the 70s, um, and a very subjective approach. And um, and it's paid off and it's worked out and it stands out and people will pick it out. And it, it, hopefully it has my name on it, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I do think that's something that needs to be addressed. People need to be more open-minded um, and, and needs to be a different approach. If everything is the same, it's, it's a tougher battle for them at the end of the day. And they're copying styles which already exist, so the masters of those styles are, are out there somewhere. And so trying to compete with those is worthless exercise. So it's really important to do that, I think. Uh, surely the basis is still producing a good photograph, whatever yes. that is, or whether it's yes. a story or whether it's technically competent yes. and not being bombarded by filters or yes. any types of post-production to try and make it better yes. unacceptable yes. in some way and, and, and yeah I think particularly portraiture is really quite I think it's it's had gone through a really bad period of sameness and and, and for, for portraits that could be taken by anybody um, that may be the obviously the aims very often that is the aim of of the photographer but yet on the other hand it, it, it takes away the, the, the skill craft and personality of the photographer in that process, um, and and it, it's easily copied, and I don't know, there's just so many people doing it. But I just think most times should people should experiment more with, with um, you know, photography's got a really rich history. Just look at what other photographers have done in the past, and experiment. What's next for you then? What um, what floats your boat in terms of? Well, at the moment, I, the um, this Tiny Wheels exhibition and possibly the old exhibition, um, I, I'm working on f- uh, future exhibitions in France for next year. Hopefully, there'll be several exhibitions coming up, um, which will be good, and um, and more landscapes, and my lifelong ambition to write a film script. <laughs> well, all power to your album. <laughs> and, uh, thanks very much for talking to us thank you, thank you, it's been a pleasure